Hello, everybody, and it finally happened after seven races. Seven. Seven. Can you believe that? It's been seven races after seven races. Charles Leclerc, Ferrari driver, is back on the top step of the podium. Hi, I'm Brendan Klein. Welcome to An American F1, and we are breaking down everything that was the Australian Grand Prix weekend. And for Ferrari fans, especially Charles Leclerc fans, you got to feel a little good. You got to feel a little happy that the Monegasque has found his way back on to the top step of the podium and challenged Max Verstappen in what was some pretty good racing on Sunday. It was an entertaining Australian Grand Prix. I thought that the battle at the front was what we want to see in Formula One. We also had some great midfield battles. So anybody saying that these aero regulations are not making racing better, I think by looking at Silverstone and by looking at the Australian Grand Prix, we can certainly tell that the racing is there. But yes, this week, it's all about Ferrari. And going into this race weekend, I think, and and don't even get us started on the sprint race yet, but going into this weekend, we knew there was a little tension at Ferrari. Charles Leclerc seemed a little displeased after Silverstone, thought he could have done a little more. Obviously, Carlos Sainz getting the victory. There was, uh, you know, there's been controversy all week on how much Ferrari actually celebrated the Carlos Sainz win, which I think is insane. There was the drama with, you know, Mattia Bonotto meeting Charles Leclerc and Monaco, maybe to smooth things over. But I think a lot of that was probably taken out of proportion. But yeah, this going into this Australian Grand Prix weekend, and it's funny because whenever we talk about Austria, People tend to think, because it's the Red Bull ring, because Red Bull has done well there, I mean, going into this week, the people that I at least were talking to were like, ah, this is a Red Bull win, easy, dominant track, Red Bull's going to clean up, they always dominate at Styria, which isn't exactly true if you go back to the records, Mercedes does have some wins there, so not exactly true, but in recent years, yes, it has been a Red Bull quote-unquote track, but nevertheless... At the Styrian Grand Prix, or the Austrian Grand Prix, sorry, I forgot that. Styrian Grand Prix was last year. Um, at the Australian Grand Prix this year, Australian, Austrian Grand Prix, I'm just stumbling my words right now. At the Australian Grand Prix this weekend, we had a sprint race. And going into qualifying, I mean, first of all, Charles Leclerc almost nabbed that pole in qualifying. So it was evident that the Ferrari had some pace. But going into that sprint race... It looked like Ferrari could have possibly challenged Red Bull for the win, even from those first couple of laps. But obviously, uh, Carlos Sainz was pushing it pretty hard. I feel like that sprint race this weekend created like a lot of unnecessary drama. We had the battle between Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, right? And you could tell like at the end of the race, Charles Leclerc just looked like he was angry beyond belief. And it was kind of funny because now... We had Charles Leclerc, who was angry, maybe because Carlos raced him a little hard, because, you know, some questionable things. He, he definitely looked a little displeased. It looked like almost like a multi-21 uh, situation, but not as bad. And then um, also with the, the Haas team, too, Mick Schumacher getting a little feisty, too. So the whole thing on Twitter was, you know, both these guys have entered their villain era, and 
Well, I agree with that sentiment in some ways. I think we're just seeing racers that are passionate about their job. They want to succeed. They want to do great things. And what we saw were drivers that were angry because they thought they could have done more and might have been stifled a little bit by their teammates. And, you know, thinking back to the sprint race, too, I was saying before, like, what are some of the weirdest teams this year, right? Like, we have some strange teams on the grid. We have Ferrari, and we'll get into their reliability problems in a second. We have Ferrari with the reliability. We have McLaren, who one day looks great, one week looks horrible. And then we have Alpine, who are undeniably a fast car. Alpine has some speed, but they just can't seem to get their reliability in check. And and that was evident, too, from the sprint race where apparently Fernando Alonso had what you would call a total blackout on the grid and his car was dead and he had to retire. And this guy, Fernando Alonso, has had to have had the worst luck this year. It seems every time that Alpine for Fernando is competitive, is quick, there's some sort of reliability issue. And ultimately, that hampered his race. And a race in which his Alpine showed some pace. If you look at the data after the race, that Alpine had pace. Esteban Ocon, I mean, if you look at his results finishing fifth, Esteban Ocon clearly showed that that Alpine had pace. So, you know, just imagine what could have happened if Fernando was up there and if he could have, you know, maybe snuck out a podium. I don't know. But at least, I mean, fourth or fifth had to be on the table for Fernando regarding that. But... I thought the sprint race, a lot of people are critical of sprint races. I thought the sprint race was good. I thought there were a lot of cool battles. Of course, I was on the edge of my seat watching Mick and Lewis Hamilton battle. That was uh, pretty epic. And who would have thought, right? Who would have thought if you told somebody last year, I, I feel like I say this a lot, but who would have thought if you would have said we would have Schumacher and Hamilton battling it out in a sprint race for what seemed like at least 10 laps, maybe? You guys would have thought we were crazy, but... Got to give credit to Mick. I mean, he had a great drive in that sprint race and really set himself up for and the Haas team, arguably protecting Kevin Magnussen too. It kind of set that Haas team up for what could have been a nice double points Sunday. Charlotte Claire again raced Max, but just didn't have enough. And it was kind of weird, right? Everybody was talking about how at the end of the sprint race, Charlotte Claire was like, well, we have enough. We're going to get them on Sunday. And it was pretty funny because if you were listening to the F1 broadcast, I can't remember if it was Martin Brundle or Crofty, but they were basically like, yeah, we'll see about that. I don't know how true that is. But, I mean, hey, <laughs> going into the race on Sunday, I guess anything could happen, right? Charlotte Claire must have knew something that we didn't or we couldn't see. And that brings us to Sunday. So Sunday was one of those interesting days. And I thought watching the F2 race, one of the things that were crazy and Thankfully, I mean, it still did affect people on Sunday in the regular race. There were a lot of black and white flags. But in the F2 race, it was, I mean, slightly embarrassing, the track limits situation. It was crazy because I believe, if I'm right or wrong, I believe the first two finishers, the winner and the second place Driver both ended up getting busted for penalties and track limits. And it was like track limit penalties galore to figure out where everybody would stand in the F2 race. And as an American, got to feel proud yet again. Technically getting the victory was yet again Logan Sargent, that Williams development driver. So 
that was pretty cool to see, although it was, you know, in a, um, I guess you could say a less than ideal situation for, <laughs> uh, for that F2 race with the track limit penalties and things like that. So yeah, it was definitely interesting what happened. And, um, the cool thing though, <laughs> if you were watching the F2 race, Roberto Mary also ends up getting a podium with all those penalties. I mean, that guy drove heck of a race, Roberto Mary. Who would have thought that that one obscure driver from F1 making his way into Formula 2 and, well, again, into Formula 2 and, like, super subbing his way into a podium spot. So, yeah, definitely interesting, definitely cool, that F2 race. But that brings us, again, back to the Formula 1 race. I was wondering how much track limits would play a factor. And they did to some extent, but it was not as bad as the F2 race. But so the Formula One race gets underway and Max Verstappen gets off to a roaring start. Of course, we have George Russell making contact with Sergio Perez, taking him out of the race. Well, taking Sergio Perez out of the race, which George ended up getting a five second penalty for. Now, George felt that penalty was kind of tough. I'm not here. I'm not a marshal. I'm not going to break down whether there was space or not. I mean, obviously there was contact, but it was quite interesting to see that, you know, George did get that penalty for contact when we've seen other racing like that earlier in the year where maybe there wasn't any penalty given, but that's okay. Uh, It was, you know, I guess, you know, to some extent the marshals were pretty strict this year. So uh, this year, this race. So, I'm not entirely surprised that they ended up giving him a penalty. We also saw Sebastian Vettel get knocked out. And then, of course, you know, the race is getting underway and Leclerc and Verstappen really battling hard. I mean, they were they were back and forth with each other for the majority of the race, you know. And, you know, the strategy originally, I love how originally it was thought to be a one stopper. I think we ended up having almost a two stop race, three stop race in some cases. So it was kind of interesting to see how. The tire strategy played a role and how Leclerc was able to grind his way. Leclerc and Carlos Sainz really able to grind their way and battle Max Verstappen, making some great passes, great moves. And the craziest thing, too, is like right as Carlos Sainz is on Max Verstappen's tail near the end of the race, we have yet again another Ferrari reliability issue. I mean, how many times? And it seems like... I know Leclerc has been affected by it too, but it always seems like it just hits Carlos Sainz at the worst times. And and just ah, so frustrating to see that Ferrari can't just have everything perfect week in and week out. And really, you know, if you're looking at the standings, in reality, this is still an open championship battle with, what, 38 points separating the two? It's really still anybody's... I know, obviously, it is quite far away, but, I mean, realistically, it's still close enough with 38 points out. It's close enough to be a battle, and the Constructors' Championship also tightening up as well. So, you know, I wouldn't call Charles Leclerc out of it. I wouldn't say that this is Max Verstappen's championship to win. Obviously, he's in full control. The destiny of the championship is undoubtedly in Max Verstappen's hands, in Red Bull hands, but... One DNF and things can swing a totally different way. So, you know, it is a healthy lead. It is a great lead. But, I mean, 
anything could still happen. They could dig in their way. You know, if, if Ferrari has a good couple of races here and things get close, it's going to it's gonna get interesting. But I don't want to hype up the championship battle too much yet, but I still find that it's, it's within range. And I think both the World Drivers and World Constructors Championships are wide open. I would... I would think that is fair to say. So, yeah, with that being said, obviously great race for Charles Leclerc. Decent race for Verstappen, but you got to feel like Red Bull feeling a little disappointed because of the fact that, you know, they obviously had speed, but the tires just could not hold on and the pace just fell off. So it makes you wonder how they will be able to cope with that. Will this affect them in future races? We don't know. They got to really look into that. And if there is a team that I guess you could say would look into that and figure that out, it is Red Bull. Because Red Bull, honestly, I do feel like it. I mean, Mercedes is number one at, I would say, working at issues and getting to the bottom of them. I mean, look at Mercedes pace improvement with this whole porpoising issue. Uh, They still have ways to go, but I mean, they're definitely getting racier, Mercedes. And it would be interesting to see what happened. They looked definitely competitive at silverstone they look more competitive here at austria and we'll see what happens in france maybe mercedes can sneak their way into another podium or better also great recovery drive from george russell as well i mean with that contact with sergio perez having to change the wing having to serve a penalty ends up coming home still in fourth which is pretty impressive considering everything that went on in that race and you know, Mercedes just managing to do a lot with a little so far. And it just makes you wonder what they could have done if their car was just a little bit more competitive earlier in the year. But nevertheless, great race with the crew, the Silver Arrows. Great to see Hamilton and Russell up there. Loving seeing Hamilton on the podium and happy to be on the podium. Now, we'd be, it'd be a shame for us not to mention, gotta give kudos to one Mick Schumacher finishing in the top six. I honestly did not see that coming. I know a lot of people could have argued Silverstone was a fluke for Mick because of all the retirements. But honestly, Mick Schumacher this race weekend has shown to be a different Mick Schumacher. A little more fiery, a little more pacey, and just battling it out there. I mean, Mick was running a great race, had a great race weekend, almost a perfect race weekend. Which is something he really needed. I think Haas really needed. Haas getting another double points. Even with Kevin Magnussen having some tire issues. So incredible to see. Good double points for Haas. A team that, you know, they are the little engine that they can do. You know, the little engine that could. They're doing also a lot with the little. Supposedly, they're bringing more upgrades into France. So that's going to be interesting to see if Haas can, you know, continue this role of being... A quick team. Can they get that 6th or 7th in the Constructors? Because I think if they can maintain and do what they're doing, honestly, for 11th races, 11 races so far this season, they have been doing a lot with a little. They've had some horrible races, and they've had some great moments. So good to see Haas doing what they were doing. McLaren. McLaren, the journey for McLaren, again, it was arguably one of their worst race weekends to start. They never quite seemed to have the pace. They got through in the sprint, were a little quicker. They did get a double points finish, but you could clearly tell that Norris and Ricardo were not happy with 7th and ninth. And I don't blame them because this is one of those teams that we hyped up going into this year. We thought McLaren was going to be a lot better, and they are just not doing what they are. 
And Daniel Ricardo again just struggling in ninth. The rumors are starting to swirl again, which I think is crazy for Daniel Ricardo. I mean, you know, the big rumor now, although technically, so the big thing is with Daniel Ricardo, the contract between him and McLaren is totally in his hands. It is up to Daniel Ricardo if he wants to continue racing, if he wants to continue with McLaren. And I don't know what's going to happen. I would think I don't see Daniel Ricciardo just bailing on McLaren. But now the rumors are starting to swirl, especially since we got the summer break coming up. So allegedly, McLaren is exploring options. According to the BBC, this isn't some random Twitter person saying, I've heard this or heard this. This is from BBC, and McLaren is saying that Daniel Ricciardo is... Not Daniel Ricciardo, sorry. McLaren is exploring options for next year, for 2023, if if Daniel Ricciardo decides to leave the team. And the potential... Why can't I speak today? The potential candidates are very interesting. We have Alexander Albon listed as a possible candidate. We have Sebastian Vettel listed as as a possible candidate. We have... Colton Herta in the mix, Paddle Award. There are a lot of drivers' names swirling around. Logan Sargent, who has been on a roll in F2. So, Oscar Piastri still looking towards the Williams seat. So, there are so many things going on with this rumor mill. And, of course, the other thing, again, talking veteran drivers with Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel. Vettel is supposedly also looking to maybe see if Aston can improve because he basically said, listen, it's not fun just fighting for points. I want to be fighting for wins. And I don't blame this guy. I don't blame Sebastian Vettel for wanting to look for something better. I mean, this guy has just never had it exactly perfect. We've seen the struggle that he's been having all year. We've seen that McLaren just doesn't have, uh, sorry, that Aston Martin just doesn't have the pace. So, yeah, for Sebastian Vettel, you got to feel for the guy a little bit. You got to hope that, man, hopefully he can find something that gets himself a seat where he's more competitive, at least fighting for podiums, because I thought we had a lot of hope for Aston Martin. They've been doing a lot of work. They've been putting in a lot of investment, and they're just not there. And it sucks to see because that's a team that you want to see do well, I think. It's one of those interesting teams, and they just don't have it right now. And it's a shame. It really is because they, you know, Sebastian Vettel, I think, deserves better. His pedigree definitely proves that. But, yeah, the Austrian Grand Prix, there was, you know, not so much controversy, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of good moments. The You know, a team that I really is also kind of off the mark sometimes, on the mark, is Alpha Tauri, man. Alpha Tauri is just painful to, to watch, too, because, I don't know, they just, I think Pierre and Yuki are doing what they need to do. I mean, Yuki obviously has had his moments this year. We talked about him and, you know, supposedly getting a psychologist or... You know, that was because Helmut Marco decided to basically, you know, expose that. But, yeah, a lot of controversy with Alpha Tauri just not being, I wouldn't say controversy, but they're just not looking like they have.
the pace. And uh, I think that was a team we had highly had high expectations for. Maybe they were going to be more of a sister Red Bull team other than a you know little brother or whatever or a, you know a development team. But they're just not doing it right now, and it's a, it's a shame because. I think Pierre at least deserves better as well. And there's just, you know, in Formula 1, there's just not much space for these drivers to go. It's like everything's at an impasse. And it's kind of a shame because I think those are drivers that definitely deserve better. But um, one of the funniest things I found. So I think we all can't deny that the cool down room is one of the most awesome features of an F1 weekend. You know, to see that cool down room and... I think the funniest moment, so I guess, you know, Max Verstappen ends up being the first one in the cool-down room, and there must have been a delay, probably because Charlotte Claire was doing interviews, and, uh, I don't know, Lewis Hamilton was walking in there slow, so it's, for, you get this brief moment where Lewis and Max are just there, and it was so awkward, painfully awkward to watch, and I was like, oh my god, this looks like when you run into your ex at like a bar or a pub or something and you know you end up sitting right next to him and you don't want to say a word and you just kind of turn around like say an awkward hi and then you know pretend to do something else for the next like five minutes and hope somebody else comes in and bails you out because that's what it looked like oh it was so i i could rewatch that like seven times it was that funny but i thought that was a, a great moment at the end of the race just you know you could tell there's still some animosity no matter how i i I don't know if animosity but you could still tell there's some kind of interesting relationship there where you know obviously i don't think lewis is the biggest fan of max and i think max is not the biggest fan of lewis especially with the comments they have exchanged after silverstone and talking about how to uh get past an apex on cop apex on cop's corner so definitely interesting definitely one of those uh Great cooldown. I think that ranks as one of the greatest cooldown moments. It was little, but it was, it was good. It was mag- it was no Nico Lewis throwing hats at each other, but <laughs> it was it was interesting. It was it was pretty funny to watch. So yeah, the race itself, Austrian Grand Prix, pretty good. I rank it as one of the top races of the year in terms of the battle we had at the front. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what France brings. I think France is going to be more of one of these conventional tracks again. And I wonder who will have the advantage. Will it be Ferrari? Will their reliability? You got to be concerned if you're a Ferrari fan with reliability. I mean, at some point it becomes inexcusable. And I'm still thinking back to like Carlos going, no, 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 no. Like how mad he must have been. I could. Oh. It's got to be frustrating because he was having such a great race. That could have been a mega points hole, too, in the Constructors' Championship because Sergio Perez was out of the race. But, yeah, overall, Austria, great race. Great to see Haas in the double points. Good to see at least one of the Alpines quick, Esteban Ocon, working his way up there. I think the race had a lot of good moments. And looking forward to seeing more races like that. And it'd be nice to see if Mercedes, too, can figure it out and be competitive, too, for France. Another random f1 news we had some interesting developments going into this race weekend so one of the most interesting things coming up is that it looks like it looks like that kailami now that dhl and fia or f1 have signed a deal it looks like 
we are set to have racing in South Africa, which I think is great because, again, you know, Formula One needs to be the place for diversity, needs to be a place where we go to different continents. And I think the African continent needs to be well respected as well and that is exciting i think i'm hoping it's a good track i know it's a little narrow i don't know if it's going to be one of these difficult to overtake tracks but i'm looking forward to seeing what happens in terms of africa and how africa will how south africa will be as a racetrack and i think it's going to be a great place now that also reminds me and i can't believe I forgot to mention this right away. One of the most saddest things was what we heard about the treatment of certain fans at the Austrian Grand Prix by other fans. And, you know, apparently there were there was cases of sexual harassment. There were homophobic comments. And I don't know if there was anything else, but that alone is bad. I know somebody was supposedly pictured burning a Mercedes cap, which, I mean, if you bought that cap, why are you going to burn your merch? Why would you buy a Mercedes cap? Get a Mercedes cap. Just to, I, I never understand that. And if they stole from somebody and then burnt it, that's even more horrific. But the fact is, completely embarrassing for a portion of the fan base that decides they're going to go to races and not treat others as equals this is again formula one is a worldwide international sport biggest sport in the world there are numerous groups of people that watch the sport that love the sport that are passionate about the sport and my opinion always has been about sports in general sports yes we can be divided among fandoms you know being a Mercedes fan, being a McLaren fan. But first of all, there's a part, a point of sportsmanship, gentlemanship, right? That goes into having divisive fan bases. But overall, when it comes to the F1 community, the sport should un- unite more than it divides. This is a place where people can come together and enjoy a sport they love. For the longest time, it's been a sport that brings together people of different nationalities, different languages, different backgrounds. And I think Formula One needs to really work harder at making sure the sport is representative of that. And that the fans of the sport understand that. And that, you know, I don't disagree with Sebastian Vettel. If you're someone who is going to go to a race and cause this much trouble... You should get a lifetime ban. You should not be allowed back because you are not what the sport is about. That is not why we watch the sport every Sunday. That is not why we go to the track for race weekends. We go to enjoy in the competition and the fun, the entertainment that it brings. It should not be a place where people feel unsafe. And it's embarrassing. And it's great that we have vocal leaders like Lewis Hamilton, like Sebastian Vettel, like Jessica Hawkins, like Matt Bishop, that represent, and I'm sure I'm missing a lot more people, but we have these people that are voices for the F1 community in the right way. And we need to focus more on that than those fans that 
cause those issues. Those fans are a disgrace, frankly, to the sport and frankly embarrassing. And it should not be a toxic spot to be an F1 fan. It should be a place where, you know, we can be united and race literally as one. So, yes, it's great that F1 sends the messages, but more action definitely needs to be taken. And if it means banning fans for life, well, you made your choice. You deal with the consequences. That's that's my opinion. If you're gonna if you're gonna come to a race and spew hate in that way, deal with the consequences. Get banned for life. Simple enough. Downright embarrassing that this happens in a sport that is great on so many other levels, and people like that ruin what was a competitive race weekend, in my opinion, or put a black mark on what was a competitive race weekend. So. Yeah, that was something I meant to say, too, and I completely forgot about that. And, uh, you know, just not the sport, not what our sport is about, not what F1 is about. With that, one other thing was completely cool was that, um, well, I guess cool depending on who you are. No, Michael Massey has stepped down officially from the FIA to... Be back with his family in Australia. So, Michael Massey, hey, listen. Michael Massey, you had a tough job. You will forever go down as the guy that influenced the championship. But I get it. It wasn't an easy call, I guess. Maybe you felt a lot of pressure. But Michael Massey, here's what I'm going to say. I will miss, or I do miss, the exchanges between you, Toto, Christian Horner, and others. I will miss that, and I know you haven't been race director for the beginning of the year anyway, but I, I do miss those radio messages. I do miss your little, I guess as uh, Matt Gallagher over at WTF1 would say, you know, your sassiness, but I do miss that, but honestly, Michael Massey, it's unfortunate that your career ended the way it did in the FIA, but I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors, and may you find something. That is great, and I wish you nothing but the best. And it's unfortunate that you made the wrong call at Abu Dhabi because I think we all know how that race really should have ended. But with that being said, great Australian Grand Prix week. Why did I say Australian again? Oh, my God, this is so frustrating. Great Austrian Grand Prix weekend. And the sad part is I'm a history teacher, and I can't get that right. Great Austrian Grand Prix weekend. Look forward to talking to you guys next week about the French Grand Prix. Stay tuned. We'll have more news for you next week. What could possibly happen in the world of F1? I don't know, but anything can happen. Like a race weekend, anything can happen. See you guys later, and enjoy.